You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. I'm sorry. I don't think you're RKB. No. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. (laughs) I'm glad we got that on camera. (laughs) Thanks, Katie. You just messed up this morning's illustration. Now, whenever I told Katie about my idea, this idea of being sorry, not sorry, and I thought, hey, we can have a chess match, and when I beat you, Katie, I can say I'm sorry, and well, no, not really. But wouldn't you know it, the one time that I got the video recorder, you know, I beat Katie numerous times. I, I promise there's no video evidence, but I have. And yet the one time I set up the camera, of course, I make a horrible mistake, and Katie capitalizes on that, and Katie played a good game. Good job, but uh, it kind of threw a wrench at what I was going to do, and so it backfired very much. So it was Katie saying, sorry, not really sorry, and I can still use it, I guess. But, yeah, this morning is about being unapologetic. There's a beautiful story in Daniel chapter 3. You might be familiar with it. It's one of my favorites. It's the famous story of the fiery furnace in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And to set up the story, well, Nebuchadnezzar had built a statue, and not just any statue, a towering golden statue that both celebrated the the gods of Babylon and also the king of Babylon. It was to, to celebrate himself and to put him alongside of the gods. So it was very much an idol to be worshipped, and that's what the king demanded. Whenever they were unveiling this wonderful statue, this wonderful monument, the king demanded that whenever the horns blare and, and the music starts, everybody fall down on your face and worship this image of gold that I have set up, my image and my honor as I am venerated along with the gods of their pantheon that they worship. Worship me like you'd worship a God. Worship the thing I have done like you would worship a God. And so that moment comes. The music blares, the trumpets sound, everybody falls flat on their face, except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were there that day, these three young Jews. They were there in the crowd as the statue was unveiled. And this was going to be a magnificent moment when all the people bowed down and worshipped it. And they kind of ruined the moment because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down. And somebody's standing up while everybody else is down there on their knees. And not just hands and knees. I mean, they're on their hands too. And then probably their heads touching the ground. That's the, the full prostrate bowing of the ancient world, giving complete homage and surrender to these divine ideas and to their king. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as you looked at them across the sea, they were easy to pick out. The sea of people gathered that day. Well, what are they doing? And so they went and said, bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego remained standing. Well, 
The other servants of the king grabbed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, pulled them into the presence of the king, and told the king what had happened, and he's furious. How dare they ruin his big moment? How dare they ruin his big day? How dare they not give him the glory and honor and worship that he is due and that his gods are due? And they said, no. And he gives them another chance. He says, all right, you will bow down. We're going to play the music again. You're going to bow down. And if you don't, into the fiery furnace into your own death, and a pretty gruesome death at that. And that gets us to our verses today. Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Listen to this amazing answer. First, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. Nebuchadnezzar, Great, powerful king of all Babylon, the king whom they served. Remember, they they had been recruited to service in the royal court, so it's very possible the king had seen them before, talked to them before. He knew these guys. And they weren't honoring him. He's the king. How dare they? And he says, how dare you? And you better bow down right this moment. I'm giving you one more chance. And their first response, we don't answer to you, king. The king was already furious with rage, is what the scripture says. He was furious. Can you imagine what that response would have done? We don't need to defend ourselves to you, O king. We don't answer to you. You aren't the one in charge of us. And well, as a king, he would beg to differ. But they say no. We don't, we, you, you demand something of us, you demand an action, you demand an answer, and their answer is, we don't have to give you an answer. We aren't doing what we're doing because of you. The whole idea of unapologetic, not being sorry, not having to say you're sorry, or knowing that, no, I don't have to apologize to you, king. We're not doing what you want and you're upset? Okay. But we're not going to start doing what you want because we do what God wants, the one true God. So their first response is, we don't need to give an answer to you. And again, you can imagine how hot, how enraged this made the king. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they knew that the king would listen to their answer and get mad at their answer, and they knew full well that he would not be happy. I don't think that they screamed at her or got in a shouting match with him and that they became enraged. They seemed very calm in this interaction. It's one of the things I love about this story is just the calmness, the self-controlled, just diligence of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knowing that they're talking to the king, the most powerful king in the world at that point, the Babylonian Empire was the strongest empire of the day. And so this was the king of a superpower, and they were standing in his presence. He had already made himself out to be God. You better listen, you better obey. Oh, king, no. No, we don't need to obey you. And we don't answer to you. They knew somebody else was listening. They knew that God 
their God, the true God, the God of Israel, the God of their ancestors, the God who had delivered them and been with them day in and day out, he was listening. And so they spoke not for what the king would approve or disapprove. They spoke to the one who would. They would have to give an answer. They knew that he was listening. And so, king, we don't need to answer you. We answer to him. And it goes on. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver, to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. The God we serve is able. You see, the king had actually asked a question up in verse 15. The very last thing the king said when he said, you will bow down and worship this image of gold, and otherwise I'll throw you into the furnace. And his last statement is a rhetorical question. Then what God will be able to save you from my hand? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Again, Nebuchadnezzar is kind of putting himself up as a god. You're going to rely on a God to save you? I'm the king, and I'm the most powerful king in the world. I am to be venerated and worshipped and honored as a God myself. You think a God you serve will be able to save you from me? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego respond and say, well, yes. See, the king thought that was a rhetorical question. Who can answer that question? Nobody can be saved. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, wait, 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 we have an answer. Our God is able to save us. You think you're powerful? You think you're glorious? You think this image of gold that you've set up in your honor and in your name to glorify your deeds? You think you're amazing? You don't know our God. Whatever human, whatever person in this world that would lift themselves up to have the utmost glory or honor, to have the utmost loyalty, to have the utmost power. It's fleeting. It's temporary. And even though that power might threaten, we know the one who is more powerful. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the new, the one that was more powerful, the one who was completely able to save them from the fiery furnace. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. This is one of the most beautiful lines in all of the Old Testament, in my opinion. Even if he does not. Our God is able. You want to know who can rescue us from a fiery furnace? Well, our God can that's why we answer to him and not you. But then they make this amazing statement of faith. Even if he doesn't. Even if he doesn't. We'll still worship him and not you. And not your image and not your gods. Hmm. What a powerful, powerful statement. Okay, here's the thing about faithful and wise, about having faithfulness and having wisdom. We aren't faithful and wise simply because of the benefits they bring us in the moment. 
We believe there are benefits in the moment of being faithful and wise, especially when that faithfulness and wisdom is centered on the faithfulness of God and the wisdom of God. We believe that there are amazing benefits, that we will live a full life, as Jesus said, to have life and have it abundantly. There are so many benefits because we serve a God who is able to do beyond what we can ask or imagine. But here's the thing. If what God is up to doesn't necessarily bless me right now in this place, if God at work isn't going to make my life easier in this moment or give me a guarantee, He's still worth following. Faithfulness is still faithfulness. Wisdom is still wisdom. Wisdom does not change based on whether it benefits me in the moment or not. Even if he does not. Even if in this moment he doesn't rescue us. We'd rather worship him than you. These words, I think, actually lay the foundation or echo the thoughts of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. When when Jesus prayed this amazing prayer, one of the most beautiful lines in the New Testament, deliver me from this moment. But even if you don't, Jesus didn't quite say it like that. He said, not my will, but your will. If you need me in this moment to do this task, I'll be faithful. Hmm. Same spirit, a similar spirit that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego spoke with. Jesus was looking not at even the kings of the world, although he's going to be on trial soon before Pilate and Herod. Jesus was, of course, going to face Satan himself. The one who had already asked him, bow down. Jesus said no. And in the moment of the garden and then going into the cross, he says no. I'll be faithful. I'll be wise to the plans of my father. Even if they're tough. I don't necessarily know what tomorrow is going to bring. Jesus knew what tomorrow would bring. He knew that he would rise from the dead. He probably, he, he foretold it. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were looking at that fiery furnace saying, our God's able. He can. And he will. But even if he doesn't, it's all right. In that calmness, that surety, that confidence, They're unapologetic. We're not going to apologize for not living up to your expectations, O King. Regardless of what happens, we're living up to his expectations. And sorry is kind of almost a go-to word. I've seen people, and I've said it myself, if uh, they bump into me, I might say, oh, sorry. I didn't do anything wrong. It's almost just expected as common courtesy. 
Or if a waiter or a waitress brings me the wrong order, an order that wasn't quite right, I'll say, well, I'm sorry I didn't order this. Why am I apologizing? I didn't do anything. No, I'm trying to be polite, and that's a good thing. But it's almost like we're too quick to apologize, that we've trained ourselves to apologize for things that are out of our control. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. For instance, if something happens to someone that I didn't cause, or I had no hand in, you know, if just an unfortunate occurrence happens, maybe they're hurt, they're injured, maybe a loved one dies, it's perfectly appropriate to say, I'm sorry. Because really there's not much more you can say. You can't explain it away for them, you can't make them feel better, you can be in the moment with them though and say, I'm sorry. But there are some times when I would say, when I think scripture would say, don't be sorry. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a great example of that. Don't be sorry for pursuing God's standards. Here are God's standards, and here's everything else. And if we are pursuing God's standards and therefore sticking out like a sore thumb, if we are out of place, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were that day. Don't apologize for it. You don't have to scream and shout about it. They didn't. You don't have to be pushy about it. They didn't. You can just say what needs to be said, and maybe the hearers won't like it. The king... King Nebuchadnezzar certainly did not like what they had to say. He was so infuriated, he, he heated the furnace up seven times hotter than usual, enough so that even the other servants who were in charge of the furnace and who tried to throw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in, they died. So he did not like what they had to say. But they weren't trying to be mean. They weren't trying to create a stir. They were just living up to God's standards. And they said as much, King, we don't live according to your standards, we live according to God's. And that's nothing to be sorry for. They rejected men's standards. And again, that can make people mad. If the standards of men are down here and we choose to go in God's direction, then sometimes they might be offended. What a what we're doing not good enough for you? I've heard that before. By not participating in maybe the lifestyle or the actions or the things other people are doing. And oh yeah, you're too good for us. No, but God's too good for that. And you may not like to hear it, that God calls us up here. I'm not too good for it, but God is, and I'm going to choose to follow God. And if that makes you upset, if that makes you angry, if that makes you insulted, I'm sorry. Take it up with God. That's the attitude of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I'm sorry, King, you don't like what we have to say. 
take it up with our God. We just follow and serve him. And then also don't be sorry for changing your standards. See, because we're pursuing God's standards and leaving the standards of the world behind, our standards are actually always in flux because we're getting closer to God. We don't live as though we've arrived. Oh, God's standards are here and I've met them and oh, look at me and my standards are perfect. No, no, actually we've got a long way to go. Therefore, we will change. We will turn. We will see things better. We will repent. We will maybe be faced with ways in which we need to change. And maybe we were down here doing this, whatever this might be, living with a selfish attitude, doing selfish things, hard hearts, hatred, anger, envy, Maybe we were down here, but we try to change. Don't apologize for that. Don't apologize for repenting as long as you're starting to go in the right direction. We don't have to be sorry for leaving behind the things we used to do. And we can recognize it fully. Yeah, I did. I used to live that way. I used to think like that. Think about the Apostle Paul. If anybody changed his standards, it was him. A Jew trying to live his Jewish life, persecuting the Christians around him. And of course, Jesus confronted him, met him on the road to Damascus, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not just my people, but me. And Saul realized, oh no, I've been living according to the wrong standards. I've been following the wrong God. And he was following the God of the Jews and the Bible, but he had missed when God made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And so he has an opportunity to change. And what does he do? He changes wholeheartedly. And his former associates, they hated it. How dare you? You're a traitor. You're going over to the other side. And Paul said, yes, I am. Because I've seen the Lord. And I want to pursue him. And I'd love it if you join me. But I'm not going to let you hold me back. I'm not going to be sorry for it. And Paul even said, I'm going to boast. I'm going to boast in Jesus. Everything I've ever done, it's trash, rubbish, and I am ashamed of it. But I'm not ashamed of how Jesus is changing me, bringing me, turning me around, pointing me in the right direction. I'm not ashamed the closer I get to Jesus because Jesus is pulling me along. So I'll boast, but I'll only boast in Jesus. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they'll stand when everybody else falls. They'll stand. Not because they're so wonderful, because the God they serve is.
Well, I thought I'd make one final point on the uh, chess illustration that KT thoroughly ruined. And it is about where I got this chess set. This, the pieces, came from Mexico. My wife bought them for me before we got married. It's one of the first presents she gave me was this chess board and these chess pieces that she picked up in Mexico. And so I've had them for a while and my kids have played with it. I've played it many times. And one thing about it is when kids play with stuff, uh, it tends to diminish the longevity. So one of the pieces got lost. I totally blame my kids. It couldn't have been me. But uh, when they got lost, I wasn't too happy because this was a gift given to me by Lisa. And I uh, let them know that I wasn't too happy that I couldn't trust them with my stuff. As a result, though, uh, Christmas was coming up and Logan decided that he would do something for me. So if you look closely at one of these pieces, you'll notice it doesn't quite match. Logan, over the course of several weeks leading up to Christmas, with nothing but just a piece of wood we had lying around the house and a knife, a little bit of whittling and a wood burner, made another piece to complete my chessboard. Now, every time I play, I see this piece that looks a little bit different, and I know that it's out of place, but I think it's become my favorite piece. When God looked down on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that day, he saw a few pieces completely out of place. He saw a couple of pieces sticking out like a sore thumb. Every other piece looked the same. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were different. Noticeably so. Significantly so. And in that moment, I think they made their father proud. In that moment, I think he looked at them being different and said, they belong to me. It's good to be wise and faithful and out of place as long as we are not out of place with our father. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that day were close to their father.